Hello and welcome back to another episode of Money Talks 50 Plus. My name is Rebecca Pearl. I'm your host and senior program analyst for AARP Elder Watch. And today we have Melissa DeMorest LeDuke on with us. Melissa focuses her practice on business formation, mergers and acquisitions, real estate transactions, other business transactions, and estate planning. She serves as an outside general counsel for many small businesses, providing guidance, employment, real estate, contract, and other business matters. Melissa has particular experience with family-owned businesses, hotels, apartment complex, and bars and restaurants. She is a member of the Michigan Bar, and we are grateful to have her on today. Thank you so much for being with us today, Melissa. And I know you are an attorney, but this is not legal advice for the people listening. Please consult a licensed attorney before you make any final decisions. And again, thanks so much for being on today. First off, can you explain a bit about what you do as an attorney? Sure, I'd love to. I do lots of different things. One of them is estate planning. I also work with business owners and people who are looking to buy or sell real estate in addition to estate planning. But estate planning is something that we get asked about all the time. And as part of estate planning, what I do is work with clients to figure out what their situation is and what would be the best fit for them based on their needs. It's very important, great work that you're doing. So again, thank you for your service and all that you do. And so today we're going to talk about power of attorney, wills, all of the estate planning fun stuff. And I don't know if you know this, but staggeringly, a 48% of U.S. adults do not have wills. So my question for you is, why should, why should people have a will, but why should older adults especially make and keep their wills up to date? I didn't actually know that statistic, but it doesn't surprise me because I have a lot of clients who reach out to me about estate planning and then drag their feet on it. So it may take a year between when I hear from them initially and when we finally get things done because it's just something that people don't want to think about. It's important for people to get an estate plan put in place in the first place, and it's also important to keep it updated as time goes by because things change. Life circumstances change. The people that you may have listed in your will initially as acting as an executor of your estate um, may have passed away or may no longer be available to serve in those roles. So it's very important that as you have an estate plan, you are looking back at it every few years or anytime you have a major life circumstance change so that you can make sure that your uh, estate plan is still up to date. A year, that is a crazy long time, but a I understand wanting to put this off. We don't really want to think about end-of-life stuff very often. Um, and so the next question, does everyone need a will? I get this. I actually get this question a lot when I'm doing end-of-life presentations. People will say, well, I don't have a will, but I have a trust established. Do I really need a will? Can I just write something down on a piece of paper? If you want to make your own decisions about what happens with your estate and your personal property after your death, then it's best to have a will. If you don't have a will, every state has rules that come into play called the rules of intestate succession, and they decide based on a statute or based on common law what happens to your property after you die. So if you don't have a will, typically everything in your estate would go to your next of kin, whether that's your 
spouse if you have one, your kids if you have them. If you don't, then it would go to your parents or, or further down the line in terms of family members. If you have a trust already, you probably have a will that goes along with it. If you don't, then I would recommend what's called a pour over will, which just basically assigns all your property into your trust upon your death. And there's other tools that we can use to um, go along with a will or sometimes in place of a will. Most of the time, banks and retirement accounts and life insurance policies and things have forms you can fill out so that somebody can automatically take over those um, accounts on your death or receive the benefit of those accounts on your death. So there's tools that we can have that go along with or can take the place of a will. Um, so say generally it's a good idea for people to have a will. If they don't have a will, then it's a good idea to at least get some of these other things in place, these other tools, working with your bank or your financial institutions to get some of those other forms and, and documentation in place um, so that you at least have something. Because otherwise, if you don't have any of those things in place, then the state gets to decide who gets your property. And in Colorado, it does hold that it's the next of kin that gets your property if you do not have a will. And what they do is they work their way down the line of family members. So if you really don't like your second cousin and they have the potential to get all of your assets, a will is probably the way to go. And moving on a little bit into advanced directives, living wills, some of those medical tools for decision making. What is the point of purpose of having an advanced directive or a, also known as a living will? So different states have different terminology um, for healthcare uh, directives and, and living wills, but essentially it boils down to having a, a document in place that says who gets to make decisions for you under certain circumstances. Uh, I believe in Colorado, um, a living will specifically applies to situations when a patient is on um, life support or in end of life um, care. But there's also other documents you can put in place that allow someone to make decisions for you, medical decisions for you, if you're not able to make decisions for yourself, even if you're not in that uh, drastic of a situation. Let's say you're in an accident and unconscious, but you know expected to survive a, a medical, um, an advanced directive, um, or medical power of attorney would, would come into play there. So it's important to talk with an attorney about, you know, what exactly you would need in your situation, what would apply. But basically, you know, these documents all allow somebody to make medical decisions for you, rather than just relying on what the doctor or uh, the hospital's legal department think is the best decision for you in these circumstances. How should people establish these advanced directives or living wills? And who should have that information? Am I supposed to send that to my doctor, to my attorney, both, neither? So to put these in place, typically you could go to an attorney who does estate planning and ask them to help you get into place whatever you'd like. Um, state bars also offer generic forms that you can fill out with that information. I believe the Colorado State Bar offers a form like that, and most states do. So, you know, that would be kind of a baseline form that you could use if you really want more of a custom form or have more specific questions, then I would recommend talking to a, a local estate planning attorney where you live. Um, and then once you get something in place, most hospitals will take them and keep them on file. So if you're having surgery, um, you know, at, at a local hospital, you take this to them and they put it on file for you so that when you, uh, when, if, if and when it's needed, they have it on file. 
And um, it would be a good idea to also make sure that your family members, whoever might be close by, especially physically close by, um, have copies so that in the event that they're needed, someone knows where they are and how to get them to the hospital or to the to medical facility. Thank you so much for that great information on advanced directives, living wills, and who should have that information, how to establish them. That is really, really important. Moving into a bit about power of attorney, which I have quite a few questions for you on that and get these questions all the time about power of attorney. Would you mind breaking down the different types of power of attorney? I know there's quite a few different types. What role they can fulfill and then who should serve in these roles? So the main types of powers of attorney that I would recommend are a durable financial power of attorney and also a medical power of attorney. And terminology may vary from state to state, but generally a durable financial power of attorney allows someone to make financial decisions on your behalf. These are usually pretty broad powers of attorney, allowing your agent to make you know nearly any kind of decision on your behalf, whether that's you know spending your money, um, selling real estate, um, buying assets, etc. Um, this would be you know you would want to name a trusted person as your agent under this kind of power of attorney. Typically, it's your spouse as the first uh, agent, and then typically a child or a sibling as the as the backup agent. Um, a medical power of attorney is, you know, similar to a living will or advanced directive, but a little bit more broad, allowing someone to make medical decisions on your behalf when you're unable to make them on your own. And that's in you know any circumstance where you'd be unable to make the decisions on your own, not just an end of life or, or terminal illness type of situation. Um, again, in that kind of circumstance, you know, for a medical power of attorney, typically the spouse is the first um, person to be listed. And then, um, you know, the, the backups may be children if they're adults, maybe your siblings, maybe your parents, really depending on your own uh, age and, and life circumstances. Um, could also be a friend if you have a friend that you trust in particular. And that leads me right into my next question of how should one decide who serves as their power or powers of attorney? There's a lot of different, different considerations that go into deciding who serves as a power of attorney. Typically, a spouse is an easy first consideration, but the backup uh, agents, or if you're not married, then the first consideration, the first the first choice is, is, a, is a more difficult consideration. Um, sometimes people are inclined to say, well, my oldest child should be my agent, and that may or may not always be the best fit for the particular type of circumstance. Um, you know, your oldest child, if you have more than one child, your oldest child may not be the one who is the best financial decision maker, for example, or the best medical decision maker. It may be that one of your kids is in the medical field, but it's not the oldest one. So that may be the person to name as your medical power of attorney. Um, similarly, you know, you may have a, a younger child who's more responsible with finances and you feel more comfortable with them being the one who's listed as the first, uh, first agent on the power of attorney. Um, it, also, um, geographic considerations are important, uh, especially for medical decisions. If you have someone, you know, if something happens to you and you're in an accident, the hospital may need someone who is physically close by to be there to make decisions. And as well for um, financial power of attorney, it may make things simpler if whoever is your agent is close by so that they're able to go to the bank with you and get on the get on the um, signature cards and things like that. This is a question I get 
fairly often. I always am a little puzzled at it, but I thought I would pose it to you too. Do you have to tell the person or people that you've appointed as powers of attorney that they have that role? And the follow-up to that is, can the same person have multiple power of attorney roles? Or I guess in the case of a spouse, they probably would, but uh, is it is it better or in the best interest to have multiple people in multiple roles? So in general, I require that the first listed agent and on any power of attorney signs an acceptance that says, I understand these are the duties I'm being asked to perform. I accept that role. I understand there could be liability if I don't follow through on what my, what my responsibilities are to, um, to my, you know, to whoever I'm signing the power of attorney on behalf of. Um, so certainly I would recommend that the first person who's listed on anything is aware and has signed off on that responsibility. Generally, the second or third or maybe fourth person listed on the power of attorney is not required to sign something up front. But I would still say it's a good idea to let them know that they are listed just in case something ever happens and then they have to take over that role. It's a good idea to give them a copy of the documents and make sure that they know what's in it and what their responsibilities are. So also, so they have a chance to decide and say, you know, I don't think I'm comfortable with this. Can you name somebody else? Or so they can at least ask you some questions and say, what exactly is it that you want? Will you tell me in your own words here what you want? And in terms of having different uh, different roles for different powers of attorney, or um, you're correct that spouses are typically listed as the first agent on both a general durable power of attorney and also on a medical power of attorney. And often the same uh, siblings or or children or or parents or who, whomever it may be in the circumstances, there's often some overlap between the roles on, on the different financial and, uh, and medical powers of attorney. Um, it's, you know, if you're concerned about how someone may act as your agent under one or both, you may want to list them only under one. There's no hard and fast rule that says they can or cannot be named as your agent under both kinds of powers of attorney. But if you're concerned that somebody may make medical decisions on your behalf that then may result in them being able to make financial decisions on your behalf that you don't think would be positive, then they're probably not the best choice to be your agent under under one or both of those circumstances. So, you know, you may want to consider some checks and balances there, but if you don't have any reason to believe that that would be the case, then it it's generally okay to name the same some of the some or all of the same people under both of the agreements. Thank you so much for answering all of my burning power of attorney will estate questions. I really appreciate your time today. And before we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to add? One thing I think is important for people to keep in mind is that even if you have put an estate plan in place, maybe it was 10 years ago, maybe it was 15 years ago, maybe it was 20 years ago, maybe it was two years ago, but life changes, circumstances change, people die, people move away. It's important every five years as a general rule and otherwise, you know, more often if, if drastic circumstances change, it's important to go ahead and review what you have put in your estate plan and make sure that it's still accurate. So, 
if you put your estate plan in place 20 years ago when your kids were little and now your kids are adults, there's probably some changes that need to be made. And likewise, if you had listed your spouse or your parents as you know your agents in any of your documents and now they've passed away or are have dementia or have any other condition that would prevent them from really being able to act as your agent, it's a good idea to reconsider that as well. So don't consider any of these documents as set in stone they're they're fluid and they can they can and should be changed as the circumstances require you heard it here they're all living documents and they can be changed and don't hesitate to make those changes if the circumstances require that melissa i thank you so much again for joining us today and everyone else we will be back in your feed next week with a episode on finances and reconciling with them with cognitive decline. So we'll see you next week.